fellow brothers. Welcome to Absorb It in Yellow, the show where me and my friends talk about the making of and our admiration for SpongeBob SquarePants. Before we get into the show, I just want to say that I've gotten a ton of great feedback and it seriously means a ton to me. Uh, I started this show because I had always wanted to, you know, make some sort of love letter to SpongeBob um, and I needed something to take my mind off the horrors of the world at the moment. And it has done uh, just that. It, I've had a blast making this podcast, um, and to hear that just listening to it has brought some joy uh, and a much-needed distraction to others is seriously such an encouragement to hear. So if you like the show, go follow at Absorbent Yellow on Instagram or Twitter uh, and leave us a review in your podcast app. It helps others find the show, and I... We'll start reading reviews here as they come in. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about Hall Monitor and Jellyfish Jam. But first, we've got some real-time SpongeBob news we need to discuss. We interrupt your bleak and meaningless lives for this special news break. Listener and friend of the show, Kenzie, sent me and Sarah, uh, Sarah from, you know, last week's episode, an article last week with this headline, Patrick Starr spinoff greenlit at Nickelodeon. I looked it up and sure enough, it's a thing which um, sucks. Not it's a thing which sucks. It is a thing, period. uh, And that sucks. Deadline reports the Patrick Starr show is being finalized over at Nickelodeon and has already begun voice recording with the original cast. The show, which will have an initial 13-episode run, will be a talk show hosted by the titular Patrick Starr, and it's the second SpongeBob spinoff series to be announced. Uh, We've talked briefly before about Camp Coral, the prequel spinoff, which will take place during SpongeBob's childhood at camp. Um, Camp Coral was initially going to be teased in the new SpongeBob movie coming out this summer um, and then premiered shortly after on Nickelodeon, uh, with that film's release being pushed back to August in Canada and indefinitely in the United States. Um, Camp Coral has likewise been pushed back and will now actually premiere on CBS All Access rather than Nickelodeon um, proper. But why does this suck? Why the sour attitude from me about it? Well, here's the thing. It's one thing to see your childhood favorite uh, turn into a gross, heartless cash grab, but it's another thing to know that it's almost certainly against its original creator's wishes. See, we've talked before how Steven Hillenberg's hope was always just to make three seasons and then eventually the movie, but after that, call it quits. Uh, In fact, um, he uh, has said many times in in interviews that he thought it would be a miracle if the pilot would get picked up, and then if the pilot, if 12 episodes would get made, and if 12 episodes that he could get through one season— and this wasn't because he he would get you know sick of SpongeBob, but because sixty episodes back then was a show that was a perfect run. Most shows got canceled after half a season, so if you could make sixty episodes and then leave the audience wanting more, that would be a win. That obviously uh, didn't happen, um, and I've struggled to uh, piece together the timeline of SpongeBob's production and then Hillenberg's attitude towards it, but to the best of my ability, it seems to me that Hillenberg wanted the show to end uh, after the movie, that is. Uh, Nickelodeon made it clear at some point that that wasn't going to be an option, and Hillenberg 
passed the show on to his co-worker, specifically Paul Tibbet, who became showrunner after Steve. Steve stayed on as a producer, and Nickelodeon still respected his voice in the show's direction. Uh, and you don't ever really hear any of the original crew criticize the show post-season three. Um, just give it praise, albeit, you know, somewhat muted or vague praise, uh, likely because it's, you know, literally their friends making the show after that point. And so, you know, why throw stones? In a 2009 interview with Television Business International, Hillenberg um, is asked what he uh, thinks about spinoffs uh, featuring some of the other characters, what he thinks of that potential. Um, Steve says, and I quote, the show is about SpongeBob. He's the core element. And it's about how he relates to the other characters. Patrick by himself might be a bit too much. So I don't see any spinoffs. Period. That's not period the meme. It's just that's the end of the quote. What was also fascinating to me um, reading this interview was his answer regarding his input into merchandising and other creative decisions. Uh, he states, I don't control the products. I only have a say and will say if I'm uncomfortable, like making fish sticks. That wasn't appropriate for a story about celebrating sea life, but I don't own the show. End quote. This is fascinating to me um, because he very carefully makes clear that he doesn't own the show, Nickelodeon does, but more importantly, he makes it clear that he cares what the show is and what it becomes. So it's been assumed by many online that the spinoffs announced since Steven Hillenberg's tragic passing in 2018 would have been against his wishes, but this all came to a head when Paul Tibbet himself broke his silence in June of 2019. In a Twitter thread, he tweeted an article announcing the Camp Coral spinoff and posted a gif which reads, I'm shocked to my effing core. You've got some deep problems, you mother effer. Uh, he then tweeted, no, I'm not, presumably in response to questions of if he was involved. He later added, now I totally get why people sent me death threats referring to his takeover of the show season four on. And finally, he tweeted this. I do not mean any disrespect to my colleagues who are working on the show. They are good people and talented artists, but this is some greedy, lazy executiving right here. And they all know full well Steve would have hated this. Shame on them. End quote. And so here we are. A year later, with another spinoff announced and more undoubtedly on their way, and I can't help but feel icky about it. Uh, it's a shame, and frankly, the Nickelodeon execs in charge of this decision should feel terrible about it. Um, it's possible either of these shows will be good. I don't uh, expect that they will be, but regardless of their quality, it just sucks knowing that the death of this wonderful show's creator has been more opportunistic for Nickelodeon than tragic to the bigwigs over at Viacom. So anyway, that, that's enough sponge drama for now, uh, but just felt like we had to talk about it, acknowledge um, what's going on in the real world today. But uh, for now, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we are going to jump straight into Hall Monitor. Lord, episode 
episodes of SpongeBob and Angry Beavers will be here. How do you get from there to here? A megalithic viewing experience. This looks like a job for the whole monitor. Destination, tomorrow morning at 10, 9 central. On the first place to turn for new tunes, Megalodeon. Mrs. Puff's Belting School, where diligent students learn the rules of the road. Everyone, put down your books, because it's time to pick out the whole monitor of the day. <laughs> Let's see here. This week's hall monitor will be uh, Bar, Jimmy, no, no, Tina, Ralph, hmm. <gasps> SpongeBob! <laughs> It's Jimmy. Jimmy's the hall monitor. Mrs. Puff, I've done it already. Oh, Phil? No way, Mrs. Puff. Uh, Tina, you're the hall monitor. Hey, I've done it three times already. But, uh, but Beth? She graduated. Henry. Vera. Clayton. <sighs> All right. I guess I have no choice. The hall monitor of the day is... This episode opens up at Mrs. Puff's boating school, and we get the second episode in the series featuring Mrs. Puff. It's funny how this episode is essentially a school episode, um, and yet uh, doesn't at all take place in a school. Um, in fact, I wrote down in my notes that this episode revolves uh, entirely around being a hall monitor, and we never once um, see a hallway. In fact, I don't think you uh, see a hallway until season three, which is... Funny. Um, the, this is the first episode written and boarded by Jay Lender. Uh, he's a real OG SpongeBob alum. Um, if you're interested, Lender uh, actually has a pretty active Twitter account um, and tweets original sketches and storyboards um, pretty often. Before SpongeBob, Lender was a set designer on Hey Arnold, uh, and he talks about uh, making the leap from drawing backgrounds and boarding um, to actually writing for SpongeBob. Um, remember on SpongeBob, unlike most other cartoons, being a storyboard artist meant that you functionally were the writer. Uh, someone above you would come up with the basic premise um, with, you know, Hillenberg and Derek Dryman, but you are responsible for fleshing out the rest of the story. Uh, in an oral history, uh, Lender talks about quitting his job at Hey Arnold so he could maybe get hired onto SpongeBob. He says, I spent two nervous weeks at home uh, before I got the call from Derek Dryman, first to clean up Paul Tibbetts' roughs for Reef Blower season one as freelance work. So I had a foot in the door. Then they brought me into the studio and hid me in an office for a week wrangling the Pickles episode, season one, which needed some TLC. Um, one day, Dryman came busting into the room, told me to grab my stuff, dragged me across the hall to another office, introduced Chuck Klein to me as, quote, your director, and threw the premise of Hall Monitor at us. He shut the door, and it was like the last minute of The Graduate in there. I had no clue what to do. Everything else I had done before that had a script. Voices recorded. All you had to do was draw, add some gags, and have it make filmic sense. With this, there was next to nothing. Starting a new board was terrifying every single time. Well, Jay Lender, if you're ever listening to this, I would say you did a bang-up job. Uh, I love this episode because it's so silly. Uh, if I could sum up this episode and the next one, I'd use the words silly and weird. 
Uh, and I know the entire you know premise of SpongeBob is silly, but this episode in particular is just so nonsensical and yet self-serious um, in a really delightful way. So Mrs. Puff is trying to pick the hall monitor for the day, love that detail, uh, and realizes that there's only one option. Regrettably, the hall monitor of the day will have to be SpongeBob. Just take the hat and belt. A few things I love about this opening. First, uh, I love the clever decision to have Mrs. Puff trying to find a hall monitor um, staged as a horror movie with the scary music, close, dramatic angles, uh, and unnerving sound of SpongeBob's desk scratching across the ground. Um, and then it's such a nice touch, the, the visual of SpongeBob's legs transforming into rockets launching us into the typical SpongeBob silliness. Uh, and then it's so cute seeing SpongeBob so excited about being a hall monitor. And there is some like remarkable expressiveness on his face. His uh, I'm touched face in particular looks very Ren and Stimpy-esque. His speech is so fun. And we get a couple rare cultural references um, to Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky by Crime and Punishment, as well as Shakespeare's uh, Julius Caesar. Gosh dang it, those Shakespeare's. I'm going to leave all that in. SpongeBob, unfortunately, overdoes it on the speech again and blows his one chance at being Hall Monitor. See if you can recognize this musical sting at this transition right here. I will put on this uniform and assume my duties as... I'll just say, you've heard those trumpets on Spongebob before, and you'll be pumped when you remember what they're from. The setup for this episode is so sweet. It always feels so good to see a character annoyed with Spongebob, then see him crushed, and then be moved to empathy and compassion for him. Um, we see it with Squidward a lot, and it's sweet here to see Mrs. Puff remember that Spongebob isn't, you know, a jerk. He's just a kid. Uh, and fortunately for her and for Bikini Bottom... That doesn't absolve her from the consequences of what she's just done and letting him wear the uniform for the rest of the day. Broken traffic light. Who's to say my monitor duties should end just because the bell rang? I can be helpful anywhere. This looks like a job for the whole monitor. This is the first episode that majorly takes place, downtown Bikini Bottom. Uh, I think the houses are implied to be fallen boat mufflers, though I don't think that's ever confirmed anywhere. Um, it's really fun that we get to see more the city life of Bikini Bottom, especially because it just highlights how out of place SpongeBob is, both geographically um, and just visually. It's almost always a problem for everybody else when SpongeBob comes downtown. But I also just love that this world uh, feels so lived in, especially as we come across Patrick just eating ice cream on a brick wall. Um, this is what I mean. When SpongeBob heads downtown, it's almost always chaos for everybody else. Patrick apparently just frequents downtown on his own, and you can just cross paths with him anytime, anywhere. 
when you're down there. It just furthers this understory to SpongeBob that Patrick is like the street smart one of the duo. We start to see how SpongeBob's symbol of authority has already gone to his head, and he sadly needs to apprehend his best friend for his crime of littering ice cream. We get some real uh, bangers of line reads, and and the goofiness of this dialogue just makes this episode seriously stand out above uh, many others in season one. <laughs> you look funny! <laughs> Hi, SpongeBob. That's hall monitor to you. Sorry, officer. Sorry he's not good enough, Patrick. You've just committed a crime, and I'm taking you in. What crime? I'm a bad person! <laughs> X-ray, X-ray! Maniac strikes bikini bottom! City paralyzed with fear! Take it, friends. Arm yourselves with knowledge. I just love how absolutely distraught Patrick is, both here um, and as SpongeBob recruits him to find the bikini bottom maniac. Patrick, are you ready to give up your life of crime? I want to be good! <laughs> uh, and now it's it's hard for me to put into words just how good this episode gets from here. Uh, in fact, it, it's hard for me to not cut basically every piece of dialogue because there's so many memorable lines. SpongeBob singing on patrol, uh, Patrick's screaming, Patrick's wee-wooing. My guess is um, this is one of the episodes that maybe you, the listener, don't you know think often is your favorite episode. But when it comes on on TV, you just get giddy and laugh the whole way through, especially um, in this latter half. SpongeBob and Patrick are considering where to uh, start. And then the back-to-back smash cuts to the ice cream store are so hilariously understated. It reminded me of the scene um, in The Other Guys. But honestly, SpongeBob, I think, pulls it off a little bit better um, than Adam McKay. And then Patrick's interaction with the police officers is so funny and so cute. His hello, brothers. (laughs) And then uh, pointing to the cone on his head as his symbol of authority is just delightful. Um, And uh, the expressive animation in in his transition from his resting face uh, to the stretched out screaming face is just so good. Uh, And I love that SpongeBob's wanted sign is the SpongeBob like doodle from uh, the opening theme song. And this episode just gets crazier and crazier and we can't overstate how freaking awesome and hilarious the transition from day to night is. Hurry, SpongeBob. I think it's getting dark. Just put on your siren. I'll be right there. (laughs) And now uh, the episode is back to being a straight-up horror thriller. The music is tense and feels different from what we usually get on SpongeBob and the breakdown in communication and reality between SpongeBob and Patrick is very, very funny. Patrick sees the maniac standing off in the distance menacingly and lets SpongeBob know that he's right on top of him. And it's very cute how SpongeBob goes from confident cop to screaming terrified. Uh, Fun fact, uh, the maniac is standing at the corner of Conch and Coral, and we l- later learn from uh, getting a glimpse at SpongeBob's um, driver's license later in season one that SpongeBob, in fact, lives at 124 Conch Street. So there's a little bikini bottom geography for you. SpongeBob and the maniac are both in the mailbox, and SpongeBob sprints away, crashing into a fence covered in wanted signs. I love SpongeBob's remark that the maniac uh, doesn't look half bad, um, and he, of course, then realizes that he is the maniac. 
Don't miss this joke. Um, I love that SpongeBob shows Patrick the wanted sign and he screams again the same <laughs> as earlier uh, that he did with the police. The police show up uh, and take SpongeBob's revelation as a confession before Mrs. Puff arrives and somewhat accidentally claims responsibility for SpongeBob's behavior. And in conclusion, students, red means stop, green means go. And SpongeBob. Yes, Mrs. Puff? I'd like to see you after class six months from now. I forgot that it was this early on um, that the start uh, of the recurring joke that Mrs. Uh, Puff is frequently sent to jail happens um, because of SpongeBob's actions, of course. There's also something uh, to be said about watching this episode in the summer of 2020 um, with its uh, images of overzealous law enforcement and live remote teaching. Um, but if, if anything, I think that probably just speaks to uh, how trend transcendent uh, the situational humor of SpongeBob is. There's probably a few new memes to be made out of this episode. So if you get to it first, uh, no need to, you know, give me credit. Um, overall, like I said at the top, this episode is just so delightful because it's so silly and so goofy. The episode starts out silly at the school, just continues to ramp up with weird details throughout, um, and then crescendos in a memorable end scene. And, and I think for all that, and just for how fresh it all feels, this episode is five out of five, SpongeBob, hands down. Uh, with that, let's take another short break before we finish up with Jellyfish Jam. SpongeBob once again stalking the wild jellyfish. Is SpongeBob? Hello? SpongeBob? Hm. He's supposed to be here somewhere. Aha! Safety first. Aha! I finally gotcha! We get the return of narrator Jacques Cousteau, uh, and we open up on SpongeBob camouflaged and solo jellyfishing in jellyfish fields. I said at the top that I'd sum up these episodes as goofy and weird, and this episode is weird. Uh, in fact, after watching this full episode, I wrote down in my notes, I'm guessing that this is the episode uh, that is probably what earned the show its weird reputation. I uh, can't remember if it was here or on another podcast, but I've talked before about how adults in the early 2000s often use this one word to describe SpongeBob, weird. Uh, and it's funny to me because the show honestly does not seem that weird to me. It didn't seem weird to me uh, then and now in a post-Adventure Time regular show world. It seems pretty tame, if anything. Uh, but when I watch episodes like this, I kind of get why <laughs> the consistent but strange logic of the show would come across as just that weird uh, to passing glances. 
I think it's um, really delightful how into nature SpongeBob is. Uh, he has a real fascination and reverence for it, and I can't help but think that that's the character of Steven Hillenburg himself coming through a, a little bit. Uh, we get an answer to a question I asked on jellyfishing with uh, Mark Milligan several weeks ago, uh, which is why SpongeBob always wears, uh, you know, nerd glasses when he's jellyfishing. It is, of course, safety first. Uh, I suppose it would hurt quite a bit to be stung on the ice. So silly me for not guessing that uh, at at first. Uh, Here's some more weird for you. Jellyfish basically in Bikini Bottom behave as bees, um, though they literally produce jelly uh, and fruit-flavored jelly at that, um, and they are milked like cows. Uh, What's more, they can be leashed and walked like dogs, uh, and I have a serious respect in all this for Hillenburg that obscure but real marine biology informed this show, clearly, um, but he's also happy to totally break the rules at the same time. Uh, In the article I quoted earlier, Hillenberg says that while he's not in the education business anymore, um, before SpongeBob, if you said ocean, kids would think of dolphins, uh, and that was pretty much it. Maybe sharks, you know. But whereas now, it's commonplace to know some pretty specific sea creatures, um, and I certainly wouldn't have known anything about jellyfish were it not for this show. Uh, And yet, uh, when I was a kid, I'm sure I was... (laughs) unclear on if they were actually made of jelly or not, but just props, you know, to Hillenberg for that. Um, but back to the weird, uh, is a very interesting choice to have SpongeBob himself do an impression of Jacques Cousteau when the narrator is also played by Tom Kenny and is already an impression of Jacques Cousteau. It's funny. Um, SpongeBob begins walking back and we get the, just the cutest walk from the jellyfish following SpongeBob, um, as well as some delightful music. I, I wrote down, I seriously just love the music in this scene. And I love the cute giant eyes on SpongeBob as he says, ah, what the heck, and brings um, him back to his home. Squidward! Hey, Squidward! Squidward! Squidwardian! Squidward, look at my new pet! That's no pet. That's a wild animal. No, he isn't. Watch this. Fetch! How many fingers am I holding up? Play dead. I wouldn't let that thing in my house even if it was potty trained. I didn't need to see that. Well, we're going to my house to have a little fun. How can you possibly have fun with a jellyfish? I don't know why, um, but that line Squidwardiard is extremely memorable to me. It's just one of those throwaway lines that's like burned in there. Um, we don't hear it a lot, and I'm actually glad that the show eventually got away from this, but it's just nice hearing this sort of recurring, understated question from Squidward early on. How can you possibly have fun with blank? I feel like that is, you know, the setup for a lot of season one episodes. Um, but how can you have fun with a jellyfish. We immediately find out in Smash Cut to SpongeBob and Jelly having an insane rave of a dance party. This has got to be one of the most memorable scenes and most memorable songs from all of season one, SpongeBob SquarePants. 
The dancing is totally manic and, again, just weird. Uh, I love that some of the silly dance moves we saw in episode one, Help Wanted, come back here, um, this time just with psychedelic techno colors. And for the eagle-eyed, yes, this scene is what I've been referencing whenever I post clips of the podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Go follow at Absorbent Yellow. Uh, I think the stereo interface is so specific but so well-observed by the show, not me, though. I mean... You can say that for me, too, if you want, I guess. That's very kind of you. Uh, It was at this point in the episode that I wrote down that I really want to know what the initial pitch for this episode was. Um, In writing SpongeBob, uh, it's a a storyboard-driven show, right? So so the writers often came up with just a very simple initial pitch. You know, SpongeBob goes to the beach and rips his pants um, and then pass that off to the storyboard team to fill in and flesh out. I can only imagine how vague and open-ended this premise must have been. Uh, We need to take a second to and appreciate how good this music is. The song is called Stadium Rave A. It's not Get Ready For This, though the two songs do sound extremely similar. Um, The song is so memorable because it's just so completely out of place within this show. It does not sound (laughs) at all like Spongebob. Uh, And I really respect the creative decision to have about seven minutes of this 11-minute cartoon be Stadium Rave A, three minutes of which have basically no dialogue. Uh, Think about it. This song on its own isn't one you would necessarily have any reason to remember so distinctly from your childhood, but because of the context in which you first heard it, it stands out as so funny and so random. SpongeBob is the only guy I know that can have fun with a jellyfish for 12 hours! The jellyfish really want to keep listening and keep um, dancing, uh, and Gary tries to warn SpongeBob, but he tells him, quit worrying, Gary, he'll, he'll be just fine. The jellyfish, of course, lets in hundreds of jellyfish, and as the sun rises and we get our first off-screen rooster crow, SpongeBob realizes what a mistake he's made. I love, love, love SpongeBob's cute little green robe that he ties up and wears in the morning. Basically, anytime SpongeBob isn't wearing his regular outfit to me, it's just so funny. I'm not sure why, but SpongeBob saying, oh, jelly, is also uh, very burned into my my memory. Um, SpongeBob discovers the jellyfish have invaded his home and are hosting a wild rave, uh, and I'm just such a sucker for fun animation and i could watch spongebob being tossed around in clever ways by the jellyfish over and over here as the camera cuts to uh, outside spongebob's home and tracks out to squidward's at about the 18 minute mark i was seriously perplexed at how crisp the animation looks um that's not an insult to the rest of the animation I, i just mean seriously go back and watch this clip this one shot just doesn't look like season one animation uh and i wondered to myself like did they seriously go back and reanimate this one shot or just add it in like after the fact, while I did some research, um, and sure enough, there was an answer, what we see here for just a few seconds is actually the animation team's first experiment in using CG animation. Um, the next will be uh, next week, actually, in Squeaky Boots. 
Well, as far as I can tell, um, what we're seeing here are the results of the show being up-resed for their digital release. That is, um, when these shows were brought over from tape and television to you know Blu-ray streaming services, etc., uh, the animation is uh, limited by the quality of the literal cassette tape itself, or or it was rather, um, and now uh, it's been up-resed to as good as you know HD streaming could be. Um, well, with the hand-drawn and colored animation, what you see is likely pretty much as, as high res as it can get uh, but with shots like this that were computer generated they obviously can be re-exported at basically um, as high a resolution as you want them causing shots like this to stand out so significantly um, I'm personally torn because on one hand this high res look here uh, is how they quote unquote originally looked um, and yet I can't help but think that it was always animated knowing that once it was broadcast on standard televisions uh, all the animation would be uh, looking the same so i'm curious what do you think um should shots like this do you think be remastered for hd or should they be left kind of smeary looking um to better match the rest of the animation tweet or tag at absorbent yellow and give me your thoughts uh squidward is beside himself as spongebob has been partying for 18 hours and so he calls him up to give him a piece of his mind I love Squidward's insult, square-headed assault <laughs> on my ears. Um, and as the jellyfish on the other end squirts him with jelly and Squidward remarks, strawberry. I can't help but wonder if this was like an intentional throwback to the strawberry joke in the previous episode or just a coincidence. Squidward plays his clarinet to drown out the music, which causes the jellyfish to go berserk. We get a rare acknowledgement from SpongeBob that Squidward isn't good <laughs> at playing clarinet. Um, and I love that SpongeBob either assumes that Squidward knows as much or that, you know, SpongeBob actually just believes that Squidward is great and must just be underperforming right now. Um, but can you play a little better is so funny. And SpongeBob's exclamation, uh oh, that's not better, is so, so funny. Squidward's line, everybody's a critic, is a dumb joke, but hilarious, um, that will get repeated at least once more in Spongebob, uh, and one that I quoted often as a child. Spongebob accidentally destroys the stereo, and he realizes now he's in real trouble, and I just adore Spongebob's relationship with, and just general concern for Gary. <laughs> Here we get uh, what I think has got to be one of the most underappreciated songs in SpongeBob. I don't know what the word is for this sort of track-by-track sound-effect-driven music, but this was my first exposure to it as a kid um, and caused me to fall in love with it. Uh, I feel like every kid who first played around in GarageBand, like in middle school music class, immediately made some sort of track like this one. Uh, the episode winds down with SpongeBob telling Gary, don't stop shaking it as he walks the jellyfish back to Jellyfish Field and SpongeBob marvels as nature is back in serenity again. 
This final shot, similarly to the house jumping one, stood out to me as it looks more like season two animation uh, than season one. Uh, and this actually is because this final shot of SpongeBob standing, arms in the air with all the jellyfish dancing around him, is one of two shots in season one um, used to test out digital ink and paint animation, which is what seasons two and three would utilize entirely. Um, the other episode to test this out will be SB-129, which we'll get to in a couple weeks. And so this episode closes out and we learn the moral of the story. Today, SpongeBob has learned one of the sea's harshest lessons. Wild animals can throw very wild parties. Oh, I felt that. So that's Jellyfish Jam. Uh, this episode is so crazy, so frenetic, and it goes all over the place uh, with just this really very simple through line tying it all together. That being SpongeBob and his relationship with the chaotic jellyfish wildlife. I really appreciate how this episode pushes the boundaries for SpongeBob and tests out just how weird it can be. I hope you enjoy this episode. We'll be back next week with special guest Morgan Roberts returning to discuss Sandy's Rocket and Squeaky Boots. Um, I've been really looking forward to this next episode as there's just so much English literature to reference in that one. And that is, of course, Morgan's expertise. Uh, when I asked her, like, what episode do you want to do? She said, like, well, of course, Squeaky Boots, because that's just, you know, a telltale heart, which I was like, what? What do you a tell? Are you serious? <laughs> like the whole thing uh, is is a reference to a Robert Frost short story. She's like, yeah, what do you? So I'm just very excited for that. Look forward to that. Uh, but until then, I'll see you next week on Absorbent and Yellow. Uh, goodbye. He's just standing there menacingly. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>